This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... the Oscar to... goes to... Gentlemen, my only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, Captain. All real men. Love is, is Love. too weak a word. Stay back. I loathe you. I loathe you. I love you. I love you. I did as you said. Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that? Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to The Shape of Water. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 86 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today I have my co-host, Will Mavity. Hi guys. And also joining us today, we have a guest uh, for the first time ever on the main show. He has joined uh, myself before on a review of 1517 to Paris. We have Josh Parham, everybody. Hello, hello, everyone. It's really great to be back. Josh, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Um, You're a frequent interactor with us on Twitter, and we really, really appreciate having you, sir. Um, Why don't you uh, start off by telling all of our listeners who are hearing you for the first time ever uh, what you're all about, man. Uh, Some favorite movies, movies you like so far this year. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, big into movies, big into into the Oscar season, obviously. Um... I've been trying to get to a lot of movies this year. I think probably my favorite so far has been Isle of Dogs. And I'm not even that big of a Wes Anderson fan, but I was just so taken in by the charm and the humor of that film. And I just really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Well, that's going to be a common theme, actually, on this week's uh, episode, because this week's poll question actually is asking everybody, what is their favorite film of 2018 so far? So for you, you would say it's Isle of Dogs? Yeah, I would. I think a close second would be Black Panther, uh, just because I didn't expect to enjoy that movie as much as I did. But I think Isle of Dogs was just overall... Just a lot of fun, and also didn't I didn't expect to have as much uh, kind of emotional connection because that's usually where I struggle with Wes Anderson movies, and that one just really did it for me. Well, for this episode, also we're going to be talking about some trailers that uh, debuted this week online. We're also going to be answering some fan questions, and we're also going to be playing a game that we call Oscars So Right, where basically. Uh, We have everyone send in Oscar winners from any category, any year, and we debate whether or not we believe the Oscars got it right or not. So many factors to consider there. I want to start us off, first of all, though, uh, with the ultimate question that I love asking every week when we start off, and that is, what did everybody watch this week? Will, let's start off with you. What did I watch? Oh, I saw uh, Thelma. Have you seen that before? I did. I saw that at, at NYFF uh, back in, I think, October. Yeah, so I saw Thelma. Um, very well shot, interesting film. There was something it lacked that kept me from just loving it. But um, definitely visually stunning. 
another one that was just mind-blowingly pretty to look at was The Conformist. I watched that last weekend. My roommates and I set up a projector that one of them has with just crisp, fantastic projection. So we were able to pr- appreciate that broadcast across our wall, seeing it on as large a screen as you could get without actually going to a theater. I love that you messaged me and you were like, Matt, have you ever seen The Conformist? And I was like, Will, have <laughs> I ever seen The Conformist? <laughs> I was like, come on. <laughs> oh, it's I've been wanting to watch it for like five years, but never got around to it. It's so pretty to look at. Oh, my God. It's one of the most visually stunning films of all time. I mean, the cinematography in that movie. I remember actually uh, what got me into The Conformist was I kept seeing it pop up over and over on uh, Cinefix, the uh, YouTube channel. Oh, yeah. Uh, anytime they would do uh, their lists or their countdowns to anything, and I would see The Conformist keep popping up. And every time I just saw a still or an image from that movie, I was like, my God, I got I got to watch this. I got to seek this out. And I'm so glad that I did because that movie is just a sight to behold. Um, Parm, have you ever seen The Conformist? It's been many years. Uh, I do remember liking it. Uh, <laughs> it's been 84 years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it probably has. It certainly felt like that since the last time I saw it. Um, it. I don't remember actually loving it that much, but again, it has been a very, very long time since I last saw it, so I, it definitely needs a rewatch from me. That's really cool to hear. Uh, Josh, what about you? Did you see anything this week? Oh, yeah. I'm, I've actually been trying to commit to seeing like one new movie a day uh, for, oh, the, for the year. Oh, my God. It is, but uh, I'm about at like 140 so far for the year. So I'm, oh, my wow. I still am, am keeping it going. Uh, last thing I saw in theaters, though, was Chappaquiddick, which was fine. It, it was okay. Like uh, Jason Clark is good in the movie. The performances are good. Storytelling's decent, but I just walked away from that movie just not really appreciating anything more from it. It's a solid film, but I wouldn't really say that it is something you need to seek out. It's quality filmmaking, and that's about it. Yeah, that's what I've been hearing, although um, (laughs) I was talking to our beloved friend um, who has been on the show um, lately, Michael Schwartz, Will, and that's his number one favorite film of the year so far. Oh, well, that's not surprising <laughs> at all. It's like a New England right? political drama. Of course he's going to like that. Exactly. Uh, but when he told me that, I, I had the same thought. I was like, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, that, that is typical Michael. <laughs> yep. And we miss you, Michael. Uh, just giving you a shout out there. Um, I had a week of horses. Um, I saw Lean on Pete, which was fine uh, you know middle of the road i definitely leaned positive i you wasn't in positive? love with it oh my god thank you will for saying god. it so i didn't have to <laughs> yep there it is i leaned positive um on lean on pete um it's fine it's it's not great uh, i i definitely think that there is uh, quite a bit of emotion in it for sure it's a road movie that um isn't gonna set the world on fire then I saw the writer, and I really liked the writer. I didn't love it though. Same thing again. I couldn't like give like a full rave endorsement um, because Chloe Zhao definitely achieves a lot with so little. I remember um, this film was one of the ones that was nominated for I think four or five Independent Spirit Awards. Yeah. Um, I'm sure both of you guys received screeners for it, being members of the society. And uh, I don't know. Did you, did any one of you actually? get a chance to check that one out 
my girlfriend and I watched like the first 10 minutes one morning and she wasn't feeling it. So we sh- turned it off. So I've seen 10 minutes of the rider. How dare you let your girlfriend <laughs> dictate what you watch, Will? How dare you? <laughs> uh, Josh, I, I, maybe I got this wrong. Maybe maybe you aren't a member of Film, of, uh, film Independent. Uh, did you see the writer? Uh, I am actually not a member. Um, I, I don't know why I didn't sign up for it this year. Probably because I was going to school and it was one of the things that just slipped my mind. So I have not seen the writer yet, although I really, really want to. Yeah. Everyone always tells me all the time you should become a Film Independent Society member. Yeah, obviously, like, Matt, uh, you should. Well, it doesn't make sense for me if I'm not like living in LA. That's like my that's always been my issue with it is I don't really see the point because it's not like they're giving me the screeners early. You know what I mean? Uh, most of these, I mean, some of the independent films, like this would have been like the one case where, okay, I would have seen the writer early before it's US release this year, but like, you know. What what other benefit am I actually getting out of it? You know, but th- that's fine. You know, it is what it is. And I mean, heck, I, I like voting on uh, awards body groups too, just like anybody else. But hey, that's why we got the MPP Film Awards. So there you go. <laughs> In any event, though, the writer liked it, didn't love it. Beautifully uh, stunning to look at from a visual standpoint. Um, some of the landscape shots are just gorgeous. And I really did feel for the main character. He basically falls off his horse. He sustains a head injury. And the whole movie is about this dilemma of him choosing to either ride again and potentially die in the process or to move on and away from his passion, what he thinks is his purpose in life and trying to start anew. And that's a very, very tough decision to ask of anyone. It's like, you know, training your whole life to be a professional football player and then you you sustain a neck injury and you you have to be told that your career is over you know it's it's very very tough and how do you move on from that i, I think that chloe zhao explores that in a very humanistic very graceful way um my only gripe with it was that it tends to just slog a little bit like in the mid middle of the film to the point where i didn't know where the movie was going i don't think the film had any idea where it was going it just seemed like it was just these vignette scenes of him interacting with friends and family but and we were getting a snapshot of this guy's life but i just felt like the film was lacking narrative thrust i didn't really necessarily know what direction it was heading in so overall though definitely uh recommended worth seeking out for sure Let's uh, start off with our first trailer of the day, shall we? Uh, we finally got a trailer of Glenn Close in The Wife, which is one that we've been hearing a lot about lately because it's potentially an Oscar vehicle for her. Some people have said that she could possibly win. Others have said that she's the best thing about the film and that that won't be enough to carry her through to a win. It also stars Jonathan Price, Harry Lloyd, Christian Slater, uh, Elizabeth McGovern, a few others as well. Let's take a look at this trailer and let's give our thoughts on it. Next time I introduce you, try a little eye contact. And next time, don't refer to me as your son, the half-baked writer. You shouldn't need my approval to write. Everyone needs approval, Joe. Hello? Am I speaking to Mr. Gosselman? I'd like my wife to get on the extension. Hello, I'm on. It is my great honor to tell you Tell me this isn't some great big fat joke. It's all real, darling. <laughs> Breathe. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Welcome to Stockholm. We are so delighted to have you here. I came across some of your stories in the college journal, beautifully written. Joe had a very heavy hand as a teacher. Did he encourage you to keep writing? A writer writes because he has something personal to say. You write with intelligence, but you're detached. The characters are supposed to be detached, especially the mother. My wife doesn't write, thank God. Otherwise, I'd suffer permanent writer's lock. <laughs> Don't ever think that you can get their approval. Who's? The men. The ones who decide who gets to be taken seriously. A writer has to write. A writer has to be read, honey. I am aware of Joe's various indiscretions. His affairs have nothing to do with you. That's a deep-seated fear of inadequacy. Don't paint me as a victim. I am much more interesting than that. Don't walk away from me, diamond! I can't do it anymore. I can't take it. I can't take the humiliation. What are we doing? John, we're not bad people. I think you are sick and tired of Joe Castleman. I would like to convey to you the warm congratulations of the Swedish Academy. You have reinvented the very nature of storytelling. Tell me about yourself. Do you have an occupation? I do. And what is that? I am a kingmaker. Okay, so now that we've seen a couple of uh, glimpses here and there, uh, let's start off with you, Will. Yay or nay, Glenn Close. Is she getting that Oscar nomination? She might get the nomination. This is not her winning vehicle. Okay, and Parm, what do you think? Um, I mean, anything is possible. Uh, judging just by what I see, I think that it she could get a nomination. I would be skeptical if this propels her to a win. I think that the field would have to be really weak for that to happen, personally. But, you know, we're just judging by the trailer. Hopefully, it's better results than the actual movie. Yeah. I, I don't know. It seems to me like... I, I already saw in my mind, I already saw three potential best actress contenders out of Sundance this year. Uh, those three being Tony Collette and Hereditary. Um, uh, oh, God, what the heck is the name of the girl from eighth grade? Jesus Christ. Um, my mind's going blank, but yes, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And also um, uh, uh, Carrie Mulligan from uh, Wildlife. So, or Wildfire. What is it? Jesus it's wildlife. Christ, I, it's I, I wildlife. Yeah, wildlife. Did you sustain yeah. a head injury <laughs> last night? You know what? I, I was just thinking about this earlier today. Like, I just can't recall, like, movies anymore. My brain is just filled with so, so many that I. it's like it's like that scene in Sherlock when he has to, like, go into his uh, memory box and he has to, like, pull out memories, like, from his brain. That's, that's me trying to remember movie titles, names, and things like that at this point. <laughs> There's just so much up It's Elsie right Fisher in eighth grade. Elsie Fisher. Okay. So I forgot the name, but trust me when I tell everybody else, uh, you will not forget that name. I definitely think she is a potential surprise contender when it comes to Best Actress. But let's get back to the wife really quick. Um, you know, this definitely was a different kind of performance than uh, what I was expecting to see based on the glimpses that we saw in this trailer. It's more internalized. Definitely looks like there's a lot of layers to it. I have heard, though, that she has the scene. Yeah, the the Oscar scene. No, I heard the film as a whole was too quiet that she didn't have a scene, like an Oscar scene. You've, you've heard otherwise? 
I have. Um, or maybe there are some people who thought about that scene and didn't think it was good enough. So maybe they're downplaying it. Um, whatever the case might be, though, my thought process is leaning more towards this not being something that's going to carry her through. I mean, also, we got to remember, it's being released by Sony Pictures Classics, who lately, for some reason, just when it comes to running an Oscar campaign, have just been dropping the ball left and right, I feel like. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's true, but they did have, you know, uh, two Best Actress wins in a row with Kate Blanchett and Julianne Moore a couple years ago. So this sure. is a category that they do know how to win. Right, but I mean, their rollout for a fantastic woman, Call Me By Your Name, they, I mean, I still maintain they should have easily been able to get Melissa Leo a supporting actress nomination for Novitiate, but... Yeah, well, Novitiate just disappeared, which is a real shame, because I love that movie. I mean, and, you know, Call Me By Your Name had something special, and that rollout was absolutely atrocious. Bizarre. As popular as that movie was, it should have made double what it did at the box office. Okay, so now, next up uh, on the docket here, I want to talk about some polls really quick. Not all of them. I mean, we are running a couple right now. I want to send a reminder to all of our Patreon subscribers right now, and anyone that's thinking about subscribing to us on Patreon, we still have a poll going on for Last Best Picture, which is where we take... Any film that was nominated for Best Picture or won Best Picture, we throw the whole entire list, over 500 films in a randomizer. The top 10 films go into the poll, and then at that point, we have you guys vote on it. Whatever wins is the film that we're going to review on the podcast for our Patreon subscribers. One of the films in that list right now is One Flew Over to Cuckoo's Nest, and I have to say, after the uh, very sad news that we learned this week, the passing of... Two-time Oscar-winning director Milos Forman, I think One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is definitely the surefire winner, probably, of that poll. But voting is still open. I want to turn our uh, focus towards Milos Forman right now. And I want to uh, take a moment to talk about some of the films that uh, any, you know either of us on the show here have seen of the man. And also to um, take a moment to just appreciate what he gave us. Um, so, Parm, let's start off with you. Thoughts on Milos Forman? Yeah, you know, when I heard this news, I was just really just devastated by it. Um, you know, Milos Forman was one of those filmmakers that when I was discovering movies was so important to me. Uh, I mean, Cuckoo's Nest, I, I just think that there is a simplicity to that film and its style that is just so effective. You know, it's not very flashy. It just puts you right in the middle of the situation and it is just so beautifully rendered and uh, and I've gone on record to say that I think Amadeus is a perfect movie. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Absolutely love Amadeus. I think it is incredible. And you know, People versus Larry Flynn is another really good one from him uh, that is sort of underrated. Doesn't get talked about a lot, uh, but really great performances. Courtney Love is great in it. I mean, that tells you right there he's a great director. <laughs> I mean, the man was amazing, and yeah just has contributed so much to cinema and it's a real shame that he's gone because his movies have been all just incredible. Will? Yeah, I mean, Foreman was a true legend. It's depressing to me that we often talk about the various directors who've directed more than one Best Picture nominees or have won director more than once and no one seems to mention Foreman because he very much should be up there. He also drew an Academy Award-nominated performance out of Woody Harrelson, um, he brought maybe the best performance Jim Carrey's ever delivered as his Andy Kaufman performance in Man on the Moon. 
Um, and apparently his Czech films are excellent, but there's been a little bit of salt going around online because none of the sc- streaming services seem to offer his his non-famous film. So good luck if you want to find anything he did pre-Cuckoo's Nest. But he he was a true talent. His direction in Cuckoo's Nest is vibrant. It's lush in Amadeus. He was multifaceted. He just... A, a true legend, and I was waiting for him to bring out one more great film, and now we'll never get to see it. You know, it, that's actually crazy because uh, we received a fan question recently on the podcast that asked, uh, you know, a filmmaker that you would hope to see make a comeback, and my answer was Milos Foreman. You know, how incredible is that, that this is a filmmaker that just recently I was talking about how here's someone that gave so much to the industry in such a variety of different ways. And I was hoping that there was still one more left in the tank. Um, but you know what though, uh, no regrets or nothing like that. You, I, this is a legacy that I'm very, very proud. And I'm sure everyone is proud to look back on and recognize that this man, um, was a true artist. Definitely did not make the same movie twice. Um, out of curiosity from my standpoint, Will, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or Amadeus? One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest will always have a special spot in my heart. It's my favorite book of all time as well. I have to go with that. It's just so unique. Yeah, I'm an Amadeus fan. Um, Josh, I assume, based on the praise you gave there, you're the same? Yeah, I mean, again, I also really love Cuckoo's Nest, but to me, Amadeus is one of those examples where everything that goes into making a movie – just writing, directing, acting, cinematography, editing, music, sound, makeup, like all of that stuff is just used not only in that movie, but just to the greatest display you can. And I I am in love with Amadeus. It, it is probably right behind Godfather as my favorite Best Picture winner of all time. Wow. Um, and what's really insane about Amadeus, too, to me is how that film is, what, two hundred over 200 minutes long, uh, if you watch the uh, extended cut. And it still flies by. Oh, yeah. Absolutely flies by. That, that's such an easy, easy watch uh, for me. The music is just unbelievable. The performances, like you were saying before, the writing. I mean, that scene where he's, you know, in the bed and he's telling uh, Salieri to uh, transcribe the notes and they're playing the music as he's describing. Oh, my Lord. Uh, that's yeah. a feat of direction in that movie that makes you feel something else to, to provide such a unique experience through music i mean I, I had never seen anything like it uh when i first saw it and i still don't think i have since one flew over the cuckoo's nest uh, you know it, it's interesting because i remember the first time i watched it i remember thinking how did this win best director um because back then i used to think like directing was all about flashy camera moves or the visual look of the film and so on and so forth but you realize it's about, uh, you know, it's kind of like the, the, the spotlight argument. You know what I mean? Great performances, honing in on the writing, making sure the narrative thrust of the film is there and it never, um, it never uh, sags along anywhere. You know what I mean? And that's what One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest is. It's an effortlessly entertaining movie that just carries itself along with such purpose. Every moment uh, is just something to just cherish in that. And also, I mean... The production design in there, making the entire um, mental facility look like a prison. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no. I, I hear you on that. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, like I said earlier, I think it's 
definitely going to win our poll for the last best picture. Um, I'll be very curious to revisit that because I haven't seen that movie in a very long time. I think it's been like 10 years since I've seen it. I think he uses handheld and all kinds of other stuff too, you know, at a time when that was still being experimented with. I think there is some flash to his direction you're not remembering too. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah, we'll see. You know, it'll be definitely be interesting. But in any event, though, rest in peace, Milos Foreman. Uh, you definitely did extremely well. And it's uh, you have a filmography that is something that's going to be cherished and looked back on and rewatched uh, throughout all time. All right. Fan question. Let's move over to what the fans have to ask. And let's see if we can... Uh, answer some of their questions so i like this one this one's from richard houlihan uh he's asking us the current facebook cambridge scandal makes me want to see aaron sorkin and david fincher make a sequel to social network what are your thoughts on that my girlfriend and i were just talking about that yesterday i'm not sure there is enough content there to make a full feature film the climax would be interesting you know maybe you could really dig into it but also something tells me that those involved with this scandal are going to be far less willing to part with their stories than they were last time around now that Facebook is fully corporate. I'm sure they've all signed NDAs. Good luck getting the story. And also the social network is as close to a perfect movie as the 21st century has given us. So I don't really want to see it even risk being tarnished by a sequel. I would be intrigued. The content might be there, but as I said, it's hard to get. I don't think it's something I need to pursue. Okay, that's fair. Parm, you feel the same way? Yeah, I, I kind of do. Um, I actually watched, uh, rewatched this, The Social Network not too long ago uh, since it was all in the news again. And yeah, it's a, it's a magnificent movie. But I think the strength of that film is that it is really focused in on these characters. And I feel like if you were to do a sequel now, it would become much bigger than them. It would be about all of these political things that are happening. And I think you would get away from this character study that is really at the heart of that movie that really propels it forward. And I think you would just lose that in a sequel. It, people wouldn't really want to see that. They want to see all this other stuff around it. And I, I don't think that that's something that those characters should really get involved in in a sequel so i think it should just stay with what it is yeah like this okay. the cinematic mark zuckerberg the social network is about him kind of losing his humanity and isolating himself the the cinematic version of Zark mark zuckerberg i'm not saying this is the real mark zuckerberg because apparently he had a girlfriend stuff but that character of mark zuckerberg put into the sequel would then be a mark zuckerberg pretty much just continuing on without his humanity this would now be the cold, isolated Mark Zuckerberg getting drawn into deeper and deeper holes. So, you know, like, it's, it's, it's like the Godfather 2, where he's, uh, you know, where, he, where he's firmly in the game now. And in the case of Mark Zuckerberg, as Josh said, I don't know if that would be as compelling. He's, the character would already be an asshole by this point. Yeah, I, I can understand that. And definitely, I don't think it would make for the greatest movie ever. But, uh, I mean, if all those people came back, I'd definitely go see it, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd have to go see it, but I, I can tell you this right now. I wouldn't want to go see it. That's for sure. Okay, second trailer uh, that we're going to be discussing here on the podcast today. Uh, Elle Fanning is playing Mary Shelley. And if you don't know that name, Mary Shelley is the author of Frankenstein, 
I hope our listeners know that name. <laughs> That'd be really embarrassing. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, I, I hope that everybody reads. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the film is starring Elle Fanning, Maisie Williams, Douglas Booth, Bell Powley, Ben Hardy. Um, it's gotten some pretty good notices so far. Oh, let's also not forget, I'm sorry, never Game of Thrones alumni, Stephen Delane, status forever. Um this film is one that uh, talks, you know, it shows us the uh, true story behind, you know, the creation of the story known as Frankenstein. Let's take a look at this trailer. Let's see what we think. I feel a frustration, a constant whisper that I am no closer to achieving my dreams. I missed that. That's Shelley. Beautiful, isn't he? Just how old are you then? Old enough to know why you are asking. I'm 16. When I met you, I felt alive. Come away with me. Are you really involved with that whoremonger? I have a fire in my soul, and I will no longer allow you or anyone else to contain it. Who amongst you has ever wondered if the dead could return to life? Is that really possible? Reanimation. We've been invited to Geneva by Lord Byron. Would you like to join me in the parlour, Miss Godwin? I have no quarrel with you becoming lovers. Do you wish to be with someone else? I no longer see the world and its works as they before appeared to me, and men appear to me as monsters. We are each to write a ghost story. It's a competition. The woman is not intelligent enough to form ideas of her own. What's wrong with you? You, Miss Godwin, have the chance to prove me wrong. Don't you recognize Victor Frankenstein? This is no ghost story. It chilled me to the bone. You must get your story published, Mary. Curious subject matter for a young lady. Are you suggesting the work belongs to Mr. Shelley? It is my story. And you dare question a woman's ability to experience loss. Betrayal. Death. If I had not learned to fight through the anguish, I would not have found this voice. My choices made me who I am, and I regret nothing. All right, so this film premiered at TIFF back in September. Um, so they got some, you know, some critics' quotes in the trailer to help try and sell it for all of us a bit more. Uh, Will, you're actually the one who recommended that we talk about this trailer here on the podcast. I mean, the response out of TIFF wasn't exactly all that positive. Is is this like kind of your history, uh, you know, curiosity kind of seeping through here a little bit? Is that is that what it's got your interest all perked up? Yeah, but it did have, you know, some of the reviews were tepid, but it did have very strong ones from groups like The Hollywood Reporter and Deadline. Mary Shelley's life is an interesting story. I mean, she lost her virginity on her mother's grave. Like, that's pretty uh, intriguing. And it's got a good cast. I think it will end up being one of those period pieces that gets, you know, like a 75, 80 on Rotten Tomatoes, um, comes and goes to the box office. People are like, yeah, that was pretty good. And then it doesn't show up anywhere in Oscar season, ultimately. But, you know, it's... Elle Fanning continues to be an impressive force. Um, I'm just waiting for her to nail the right role where she gets an acting nomination. And who knows? You know, I think this is a film, it, you know, as the Hollywood Reporter said, it's a lush spectacle for the eyes. This is clearly a film, you know, they do love films set in this time period 
for costume and production design nominations. But it's also, it's, I've wanted someone to make a story about Villa Diodati for ages. That's where they all went, and it's like Bram Stoker and Mary Shelley and all these people that they created all the great original monster novels because they were trapped inside a house and couldn't leave, and they kind of went crazy while writing it. That's such an intriguing story. So I, I want to believe that there's something worth seeing here. Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, it's definitely an interesting subject matter. Uh, Josh, w- w- what are your thoughts on it, though? Um, well, you know what? This hadn't really popped up on my radar at all. And judging by the trailer, it looks interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, that time period is certainly something that also kind of intrigues me a little bit. And yeah, Mary Shelley's a very fascinating figure, but... I don't know if it necessarily jumps out at me as like, oh my god, I have to go see this. Um, but this cast is really good. There really is what can, is going to sell me on the movie, and I am intrigued, but I'm not like all in on it right now at this point. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, let's go back to some more podcast questions here from the fans. This one's from Jeff Marshall, uh, longtime listener, first time asker. He says. Of the actors and actresses nominated for lead and supporting in the same year. Okay, so lead and supporting the same year. We're talking Jamie Foxx, Al Pacino, okay? Who do you think came closest to winning both categories? And do you ever foresee this happening? I don't think that will ever happen. I think there will be a conscious effort for people to throw their weight behind a specific category. I can't imagine them letting that happen because i think people are aware how weird that would be i mean when when clooney won supporting actor for syriana he was like i guess it means i'm not winning anything for good night and good luck yeah (laughs) we're just not gonna let it happen that would have been the closest one i would say though yeah i you know because he's he's nominated like three different categories that year um four even yeah so that that would have been the prime moment for it to happen if it had uh, Josh, what do you think? What what was the closest one, and do you think it will ever happen? Oh man, um, trying to think of who got double nominated. Um, I mean, the Jamie Fox one is interesting because uh, it, because he was so guaranteed for best actor, and maybe because the supporting actor at one point in that race was a little undecided. Maybe that could have been some vote splitting between him for Collateral and Thomas Hayden Church and Clive Owen and Morgan Freeman. Um, Maybe that could have happened. But I I agree that I don't think we'll ever see a situation like that. I think people now are so in the mindset that if if somebody's going to be winning an Oscar, then that's the one that they're going to win. And whatever the other one they're going to have is just that, you know, they're they're just going to move off to the side and give it to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. That make that makes sense. Okay, let's keep going with some of the questions that we have here from everybody. I'm really, really liking all this so far. Uh, Let's see here. So some more questions for this episode. This one's from Love Kyle, uh, K Bailey Java 2 on Twitter. He's asking us, with Lean on Pete and the writer being out at the same time, what's your favorite similar topic in the same year double feature pairing? So uh, the classic illusionist 
prestige Armageddon deep impact question. Uh, I think the, you, you named it the illusionist prestige. You know, so bizarre. We had two magician movies drop within a month of each other, but they both aged very well. I prefer the prestige, obviously, but the illusionist is a very pretty film. It's got a nice twist. It's well acted. Um, it goes down easy, and The Prestige, I think, remains one of Nolan's best films. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay, yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father, after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one... Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's Are not how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? okay? That's what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't buy it. That's just how <laughs> it works. All right, everyone. Uh, I hate to do this, and I apologize. Uh, Will's audio connection, uh, he's in a hotel right now, is extremely spotty to the point where I'm sure on this episode he's coming in loud and clear to all of you, but to us he was not, so he was forced to uh, exit the episodes, leaving just myself and Josh Parham left here. Last thing he was just discussing was The Illusionist and The Prestige being released in the same year. Um, I'm, I'm kind of leaning with Will on this. Like I really dig both of those two films, and I definitely think that that is one that uh, when I think about two films that are very similar in theme being released the same year. Uh, that's definitely one that springs to the top of my mind all the time as like my go-to. Uh, Josh, did you have any others though? Uh, well, you had mentioned the sort of uh, deep impact Armageddon. I also think about um, this one actually isn't technically the same year because it was a fall in one year and then a spring in the other. But I actually really am fascinated by Capote and Infamous Oh, yeah. Because those are two movies that are dealing with the exact same subject matter, like, you know, the same characters in the exact same time of their lives, and they're very different styles to them. Uh, I do prefer Capote very much so to Infamous, but at the same time, I think it's very interesting to see, just as an experiment, what two filmmakers can do with essentially the same story and the results that they produce from it. You know, there was also... Um Mission to Mars and Red Planet, I believe, were the same year. Um, recently, Mirror, Mirror, Snow White and the Huntsman is another one. Um, none of these films, though, for me, are, like, meeting uh, Prestige and The Illusionist as far as just, like, both films being, like, equally awesome. Um, oh, wait a minute. You know what's the big one? Oh, wait. This this one takes the cake. Uh, Saving Private Ryan and the Fed Red Line, 1998. Yeah, that's right. Both nominated for picture, director, a bunch of other Oscars overlapping that year. Finn Red Line walked away with nothing while Saving Private Ryan walked away with five. I mean, oh, man, you know, that was definitely that's awesome. That's an abundance of riches right there. Oh, yeah. And and I'll be honest, it, Thin Red Line is the only Terrence Malick film that I would ever call a great film. 
which I know oh. it might get the ire of some people on film Twitter, but I, I love The Thin Red Line, but it's really the only one of his movies that I've ever really been able to say that is a through-and-through through great film. So, yeah, that's a, it's a great companion piece to Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. All right, so now uh, next question that we have up here is this one's coming from Andrew Purr. All right, so now this is going to come back to our weekly poll. All right, we're going to tie these two together. He's asking us, do we think we have a lock on a Best Picture nominee for a movie already out in 2018? Uh, So this week's poll is asking everyone, what is their favorite film of 2018 so far? We know from you, Josh, that it's Isle of Dogs. For me, it's Annihilation. Um, But the question is, is Isle of Dogs or Annihilation Best Picture nominee material? Uh, I would say the answer is no. I'd say the only film so far that has been released this year that has a chance at this point is Black Panther. Uh, But even then, because of the Marvel superhero stigma, I am not I am not as confident. Um, I, I'd like to be proven wrong because I just want that barrier, that superhero barrier to just be broken for once so that we can stop um, using that as a crutch as to why, you know, as to why, like, we can't predict superhero films. Um, I don't know. Do you think it's also like a, like perception? Like, like, for example, if all the pundits start predicting it for best picture that is subconsciously going to make people go, oh, it, it, it's best picture material, and thus it will happen, where if we're conservative and we say, I don't know, I'm going to wait and see, that ultimately it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy sort of a thing, you know? Yeah, I, I do think that there is a little bit to that, because um, you even look at Get Out. I, I know that there were people that looked at that film and said, oh, this isn't an Oscar movie, it's just entertainment. But I remember very early on people saying, no, this could be considered, and sometimes it takes people – just talking about a movie and keeping it in the conversation to to make sure that it happens. Um, but the, the thing with Black Panther that I think is going to be uh, one of the biggest hurdles, actually, is that Infinity War and I think the next Ant-Man movie come out the same year. And I worry that all of that momentum that was built up with that huge box office might just get... Uh, th- might stop a bit because then you're just going to get back to sort of Marvel, uh, you know, sort of being business as usual at that point. And, you, right. know, you know, sort of like how Wonder Woman, I think, was hurt by Justice League a little bit, where it sort of tainted it. It's like, oh, well, she's still a part of this, this you know, kind of bad franchise. I don't think Infinity War is going to be bad, but I do think it might kind of remind people that, oh, these movies might just be for entertainment value and, you know, Black Panther was really good, but maybe we're just going to recognize it as a good movie and give it a tech nod here or there, and that'll be it. You know, I certainly hope not. I, I hope that it gets into the conversation more because it certainly deserves to break that barrier, like you said, but it is going to be an uphill battle for sure. Yeah. All right. So now at this point, uh, with the polls being what they are for this week, uh, just tell us favorite film of 2018 so far head over to the site cast your vote we also had a winner for our next throwback review which is going to be influenced by films that are being released in may of 2018 uh the choices were deadpool 2 first reformed the seagull solo a star wars story and tully literally 
beating out Solo by one point, 32 to 31 votes. Deadpool 2 wins that poll. And now, because Deadpool 2 has won, what we now do is we take films that are somehow, some way, or another tied to Deadpool 2. Um, this could be uh, through the stars. This could be through the director. Um, something similar in theme. Whatever the case might be. And we are putting those up to a vote now for you guys to tell us what will be our next podcast throwback review uh, for our Patreon subscribers. Josh, the five films that are going to be up for that poll, are you ready? I am. Okay. Buried, starring Ryan Reynolds, because quite frankly, that's probably the best film starring Ryan Reynolds other than Deadpool, would you agree? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I would probably say so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the first Deadpool, which shockingly predates the creation of Next Best Picture, so we don't have a podcast review for that. So, had to include it. Hmm. Uh, John Wick, reason for that, the first John Wick film, uh, so, uh, shares the same director as Deadpool. Um, that would be, uh, I hope I'm saying his last name right, David Lech? Leach? I think it's Leach. Leach. Uh, Kick-Ass? Another R-rated superhero film uh, that shares a somewhat similar tone to Deadpool. And because Deadpool is part of the X-Men universe, uh, we have the first X-Men film from 2000 also on the list. So Barry, Deadpool, John Wick, Kick-Ass, and X-Men. Head over to the polls page on nextbestpicture.com. Cast your vote for which one of those you would like to see us review on the podcast. Josh, what would get your vote? Well... Buried is probably the best film out of that bunch, but I think I would actually vote for Kick-Ass because that is a movie that really kind of feels ahead of its time a little bit, and I would be very interested to go back and sort of see how that movie is aged and what sort of the in kind of what we find the intention and the interpretation of that movie in a slightly more modern context would be. I think that would be really interesting. Oh, I definitely think so as well. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I really don't care actually, uh, of this group. I would like to review all of them. So I don't mind what wins. I, I just, you know, I hope that we get a good amount of votes and I hope that it's competitive. And at the end of the day, one of those will get a review from us. So stay tuned for that. Okay, uh, some more, uh, do we have any more questions here? Uh, bah, 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 no, so if we're done with questions, uh, we are now going to move over to a little game that we call Oscar So Right. And now we have a lot of choices to choose from here. People sent over a bunch of winners uh, from a lot of different categories. They want us to debate if the Oscars got it right or not in that year. So first one up on the list here, this one is from... Ronnie Castle, oh man. Martin Landau, Best Supporting Actor for Ed Wood. Josh, did the Oscars get it right? Oh man, this is one that I go back and forth on a lot because I know that the very popular alternative is Samuel Jackson in uh, Pulp Fiction. And, oh God, I'm going to say that they did get it right. It's, it's very close between the two. But I do think that Martin Landau in Ed Wood is just such a fantastic performance. And 
it, what's great also about it is that it isn't even like a career win. You know, it it sort of is, but at the same time, it's completely earned and deserved. And while I also he swept the season, people seem to forget too. Oh like, yeah, absolutely. One SAG, a ton of critics. He won the Golden Globe. L- literally, the only thing he did not win was the BAFTA, which went to Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, well, and I guess Samuel Jackson was also surprised about that. It's one of the great Oscar clips. If you go watch um, um, Landau winning, you can actually see Samuel Jackson saying to himself, shit, at when, <laughs> when Martin Landau's name was, was announced. <laughs> Typical Samuel, ja- Samuel L. Jackson, right? <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, you know, it, I, I, too, often go back and forth on this. Obviously, I prefer Pulp Fiction as a film, but at the same time, though... Oh, man. It's tough. It's a hindsight 2020 thing, you know, um, because you say to yourself, well, Samuel L. Jackson doesn't have an Oscar. To this date, it's his only Oscar nomination. And don't we feel at this point in Samuel L. Jackson's life, he should be an Oscar winner? I think Samuel L. Jackson is the kind of guy that um, doesn't need an Oscar to cement his legacy. I think his legacy is already cemented enough. Where with Martin Landau... I think a lot of people to this day um, only know Martin Landau, like their entry to Martin Landau is because he won for Ed Wood, and then they are able to then go back and explore other works of his. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it, it's still one of the most iconic performances, not only in his career, but also in like Tim Burton's filmography, too. It's a staple for him as well. Oh, it's one of his best films, easily. Yeah. If not, maybe even his best. I'm not exactly sure. I mean, but that year also, too, we also had uh, Chaz Palmanich, uh, Palman, oh my God, I can never say it right. Palmentary? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Bullets Over Broadway, Paul Schofield for Quiz Show, and Gary Sinise for Forrest Gump. Man, you want to talk about an actor where it's like, that was the time, you know, for Gary. Um, that was it. And Gary was hot during that time. I mean... And he's not really that around that much anymore. He, and I know he's doing a lot of work on television, but um, I miss Gary Sinise. I miss him as a presence, you know, um, on the screen. Yeah, yeah. So uh, very good year, actually, all around uh, with those nominees listed. Um, I would still give it to Martin Landau. I think they got it right. Yeah, I, I, I would. I would, too. I, I mean, I wouldn't have been upset if Samuel Jackson won, but Martin Landau, that is such an iconic performance and a great performance that it's sort of hard to argue against it too. Yeah. Let's stick with uh, Forrest Gump for a minute here. This one's from Kyle Flyberg at Hollywood 514 on Twitter. Robert Zemeckis winning best director for Forrest Gump. Yeah. I'm going to say that they didn't get it right for that one. (laughs) Okay. So in that year then 1994, if they didn't get it right, who should it have gone to? Yeah, I'm going to pick uh, Tarantino for for that one. Um, You know, I I think that Forrest Gump is a really good movie, and I think that Zemeckis does a really good job with it. But in terms of a directing standpoint, I don't think anything that Tarantino has ever done has quite matched what he did with Pulp Fiction. And, I mean, that movie is also my favorite film of 1994, so I kind of feel like that is in large part to Tarantino's direction of that film. So I feel almost obligated to say that he probably should have won that award. <sighs> Man. It's a compromise, right? Because it's like, it, it, it's literally um, the Jordan Peele 
thing with this year. We're going to give it to you for writing, but we're not going to give you director. But the writing award should be able to symbolize how how we feel about your movie. And it's well-deserved. You know, the writing is well-deserved. So the writing of Pulp Fiction deserved to win, and he won for that. <clears throat> Looking back on it, I, I agree. It's his best directorial effort. I don't think I would have done it. I think I would have done Robert Zemeckis as well. Because when you think of how many set pieces there are in Forrest Gump, um, the combination of uh, blurring the line with visual effects, and also, too, Robert Zemeckis had the career uh, that was leading up to this moment for him. I understand that there are Forrest Gump haters, but to me, it makes sense. Oh, yeah, it, it definitely makes sense. Uh, it's just to me putting those two movies together. Uh, I just find a lot more inventiveness in Tarantino's direction of that film. I mean, yes, the, the screenplay. Yeah, itself. No, I, I agree with that. Absolutely. There's definitely a lot more creativity in the direction of Pulp Fiction, for sure. You know, a lot of long shots, a lot of shots that are very symbolic. I mean, I always think about that um, that opening scene where you just see the back of Marcellus Wallace's head with the bandage and, you know, um, Bruce Willis is in the uh, background um, blurred out while uh, Marcellus is talking to him. You know, it's like stuff like that um, definitely has a distinct visual style and a director who really is in command of everything that it is that, it is that he's doing. Um I don't know, though, if at, if at the time people really understood Tarantino the director as they do today. And I still think they view him more as a writer than a director. Does that make sense? Well, he's got two writing Oscars, so I kind of feel like I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. But either way, that's a that's a very that's a very good one. And let's also not discount, too. I mean, the other people that were in there, Woody Allen for Bullets Over Broadway. Christoph Kislowski for Three Colors Red. I mean, dear Lord. Um, and Robert Redford for Quiz Show. And no Frank Darabont for Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, I mean, Frank Darabont has never been nominated for Best Director. That's a crime. I mean, I understand there's only two movies that would have been will- that would have been um, worthy. <laughs> you know, Shawshank and Green Mile. But, but both got uh, nominated for Best Picture, though. And Best Adapted Screenplay for him, too. Yeah. So... Who, who can complain that much at that point, right? Yeah. Now, Josh, I never got your thoughts on this, so now um, this is actually a new one, and I'm curious to know what you think of this. Uh, this one is from the Prism Monster, Alex, on Twitter. Shape of Water, best picture. Um, well... Do you feel we need a little bit more time to distance ourselves from it, but... <laughs> well, here, here's the thing about The Shape of Water. I was not over the moon for that movie. I thought it was good. I, I wasn't in love with it like a lot of other people were. So there are definitely movies that were nominated for Best Picture that I preferred to Shape of Water. Uh, at, mm-hmm. at the same time, though, The Shape of Water is still a movie that is a very odd Best Picture winner. You know, if you look at what was winning 10, 15 years ago, this would normally not come anywhere close. So by the sheer fact that such a unique movie managed to win Best Picture, I still find that to be enough to say, you know what, I'm okay with it, and I'm I agree with that choice. It wouldn't have been my personal preference, but because 
because it represents such a dramatic shift in what we normally see winning Best Picture, it I think has larger implications of going forward about what can be described as like an Academy movie or an Oscar-friendly film. So I appreciate it on that uh, respect, and yeah, I, I'm okay with it winning Best Picture. You know what? I don't even have to talk. You literally summed up my exact thoughts. Shape of Water wasn't even in my top 10 last year, but yet I don't have a problem with its Best Picture win um, at all because of all the reasons that you just said. I do believe that history will look back 20 years from now and the debate will be, well, why did Get Out win? You know, I definitely think that. Yeah, but but at the same time, yeah. I'm, but I'm okay with, you know, I'm okay with it. I mean, it, you know, last year was one of those years where uh, it was going to be Billboard's Get Out or Shape of Water. And of all of those three, Shape of Water winning Best Picture along with Director, which is something that, you know, when we see splits happen, is not necessarily the norm anymore. Um, And also winning two tech awards. um, To me, it just felt like a more uh, complete, a more complete solution. You know what I'm saying? It definitely felt like it was, um, it just felt right. So, yeah, I guess I got it right. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on from that. Uh, we will probably bring that back again at some other time. And let's move over now to our final trailer. This is a new film from A24. We love A24 over here at the Next Best Picture podcast. This film is called Hot Summer Nights. It is starring Timothy Chalamet. You all know him, right? Timothy. And it is a film that premiered at South by Southwest, got some pretty positive reviews, currently holding an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Let's take a look at this one. You spending the summer with your Auntie Barb? Sending me away for the summer. What a cliche. So you're from here? Yeah, wait. No. Okay. Okay. Ew. Hide this. You get high? Can you take me home? This look she gave me, man. Hey. Hey, yourself. It's hoping you show up. Guess who got lucky? I can't get her out of my mind. What would you say if I told you I wanted to start selling weed? What's this one? That's a zip. More people bought these, my life would be a lot easier. We should sell more of those. The problem is we're dealing dime bags to teenagers. We need customers who buy in bulk. You didn't know how to use a bomb, and now you're trying to tell me how to flip weed? I have something you've been looking for. Uh, we know you're not cops. That's a good question. Cops can't do that. Sit down. This is going to be more money than either of us have ever seen. They want more. You're not caught up in anything shady, right? (laughs) Daisy, sweetheart, play something celebratory. Happens every summer. When the air is so heavy you can't breathe, 
nights turn long and sleepless. When you long for cooler times, you know what it is. It's gonna tear you apart. Can't hold on to everything. I think some things you can. Then I hope you're good at being hurt. Okay, Josh. Uh, we were talking before a bit about like you know Quentin Tarantino and you know that energetic style that he tends to bring to a lot of his uh, projects. Uh, this this seems to me like it's definitely influenced by Tarantino, Martin Scorsese. You know, it looks like it's got that whip pan camera action where the camera just has like this energy to it and there's going to definitely be some insert editing shots and there's going to definitely be some probably unique use of music and sound i mean this 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 movie looks like it is going to be a ton of fun oh oh yeah i mean it it definitely has this energy to it that really looks like it's going to be fun and creative uh and the cast is stellar like you said, A24, at this point, we've learned to trust their instincts on films. So, yeah, it has all the elements going for it for me to, like, really be excited to see this one. Even when A24 is, like, not 100% on the ball, you know, with something like, um, uh, what was it called? The one with uh, Kirsten Dunst, Woodshock? Yeah, yeah, Woodshock. Yeah. You know, where it's like, you know, it's like, all right, you're getting too weird now. Um, I'd say, like, the problem with something like Hot Summer Nights, even though it's gotten uh, a good deal of publicity so far, because Timothy Chalamet is just riding this wave of momentum at the moment, I feel that there could be comparisons to Under the Silver Lake, another A24 film that could hurt it. Yeah, I did think about that a little bit. Um, But, like, when does Under the Silver Lake come out? So, Hot Summer Nights is coming out July 27th, and Under uh, the Silver Lake is coming out, uh, I'll tell you right now, it is coming out on June 22nd, so literally a month apart. Uh, Yeah, so that that could definitely hurt it a little bit, because it does seem very, you know, both of those movies feel very stylistically connected to each other. Um, but I don't know. I, it, that's one of those cases, though, that the audiences for those films are probably very similar and can tell the movies apart. So I, I think they'll they'll be fine. It's probably not a huge reach anyway. So do we think that Timothy Chalamet is going to continue his hot streak? I still maintain that he is in Leonardo DiCaprio territory right now, like pre-Titanic. That's where I think Timothy Chalamet is right now at this point in his career. And at some point, he's going to end up doing a film that's just going to make him a global sensation. Uh, Because right now, he's like an independent darling, definitely respectable amongst critics right now. I'd say at the moment, a lot of goodwill, very charming. Everybody seems to like him. It's like what's eating Gilbert Grape is his Call Me By Your Name. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, we're going to continue with... Uh, the the critically acclaimed uh, ride, it seems like. I I just, I see similarities. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And another thing that might also be a comparison to DiCaprio that I also wonder about with Chalamet is, you know, DiCaprio sort of had that baby face for a very long time. And, you know, he was respected and people liked him as a young actor. But as he got older, it sort of was difficult for him to get roles uh, that people took seriously as an adult from him, and he sort of needed to age out of that a little bit. And I wonder if the same thing might happen with Chalamet, because you know he's so you know he looks so young right now, and 
you know, it, I wonder that if like in 10 years he'll still look like, you know, he's 20 years old and yet he still has to play 30. You know, I, I wonder if that's going to beseech him like it did Leo. And it'll also be many, many years before he actually gets his recognition where people take him seriously. Yeah. Yeah, um, hmm, that's a that's a very good question, and that's something to definitely think about as uh, this young kid continues with his career within the industry. Definitely something to keep our eyes on, that is for sure. All right, Josh, normally I would have Will Mavity do this section of the podcast. Unfortunately, as I said earlier, Will was on with us, but due to audio connectivity problems, I mean, I'm sure he was coming across very clear to all of you, but unfortunately for us, we couldn't make out a single word that he was reading really saying so we had to unfortunately cut this podcast short however it was his birthday yesterday so if you're on twitter definitely reach out to william maverick uh, william avity at mavericks movies wish him a happy birthday and now he sent over to me a couple of different bullet points for news this week josh i want to get your thoughts on some of these bill Hader and james mcavoy are joining jessica chastain in the it's sequel this is shaping up to be one of the most impressive casts of all time for a horror film. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, when you consider how much money that first movie made, uh, that – well, you know what? Jessica Chastain was always something that was floated around, so that wasn't very surprising. Uh, I'm going to be honest. Uh, McAvoy and Hayter were not really on my radar, but they're both really good actors. I, I have enjoyed their work before, especially James McAvoy. Um, so I'm, I'm intrigued, you know, like I said, it really wasn't something that I ever considered them doing, but the fact that they're seemingly on board now, I think is a really good sign for the movie. Yep. Um, with you on that, definitely. And I very much look forward to it. I feel like since I saw it last year, I do feel that I'm getting my dream casting scenario. I I definitely feel that. Bill Hader was someone that was talked about, so was Jessica Chastain, and it was like, oh, man, it'd be so cool if they can get these people, but uh, it's probably not going to happen. And now to hear that they've got them and James McAvoy as well, like, that's just like, whoa, that is so crazy to me. Um, Speaking of casting uh, right now, we also have some more additions to the cast for Disney's live-action version of Mulan. Uh, We have now learned that Jet Li is going to be joining the film along with Gong Li. And also, too, uh, joining both of them will also be uh, Donnie Yen as well. So, uh, we... (laughs) This is one of those films where, uh, you know, it's interesting because I don't... I'm not a fan of the Disney live-action remakes. And I always say that. I say that every time. And then when I actually see the movie, with the exception of something like Beauty and the Beast, I mean, like Jungle Book was, you know, probably the example I'm thinking of here. I have a change of heart and I'm like, oh, no, no, no. They needed to do this. This is awesome. This is so great with modern technology. Um, First of all, how do you feel about Mulan uh, getting a live action adaptation? And what do you think of the cast they've assembled for it so far? Well, I'm kind of with you, Matt, in that I really don't care for the Disney live action remakes. Um, I, I actually, I would say Cinderella is probably the, the only one that I've somewhat, you know, enjoyed more than just like a shrug at. Um, yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Like they most of them are fine. Um, but I just have never really thought they were necessary and I kind of feel the same way about Mulan. Uh, mm-hmm. but I also know that movie is important to a lot of different people out there. So, you know, I, I'm happy for them that it, it's getting made. 
Uh, I mean, and the collection of actors that they've got there are are really great. I'm glad that they're getting cast in a big budget, you know, Disney movie that a lot of people are going to see. I'm happy about that. Do I think the movie is going to be particularly great? Not really, but you know, I, I can support them and those actors getting that kind of exposure. I will say this: I definitely have higher hopes for it than I do um, Aladdin. Yeah, although Aladdin is my favorite like Disney movie, so I, I will be. A it's, hip- it's probably going to stay that way because I'm sure this live action version is not going to do much to. I'm sure, but I will be a total <laughs> hypocrite and still go see it because I love Aladdin. But yeah, sure. <laughs> All righty. And then also to uh, what are your thoughts on the Fast and the Furious franchise? Are you liking what's going on with the with those movies? You know what, Matt? I have a confession to make. Yeah, I have never seen a single Fast and Furious movie. Well, maybe uh, this will change your mind because David Leach, director of Deadpool 2 and John Wick, we talked about him earlier. He is set to direct the Fast and the Furious spinoff with The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, and Jason Statham. Does a Dwayne Johnson, Jason Statham pairing intrigue you? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you saw the movies, then maybe it would. No, nah, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, I, I, I get that they're extremely popular. They just Those are movies that have just never really – um courted me to go see uh yeah i mean i'm sure it'll be a ton of fun people have a good time with it but if they haven't gotten me eight movies in at this point i don't think a a spinoff is gonna do it for me personally all right and then finally let's move over then to some festival news yes that's right festival news (laughs) and it only seems like yesterday that we were talking about can last year but now this year can is back in the news with a lot of new information uh chief among them is they announced their lineup uh it's running from may 8th to may 19th uh we have a couple of films that are in competition not some of the usual heavy hitters that we are accustomed to seeing at Cannes. No Lars von Trier, no Terrence Malick. You know, there's a couple of others that are left off the list. Um, Everybody Knows by Ashgar Farhardi will be opening up uh, the festival. We also have uh, other films that are in contention as well. Uh, Black Klansman, which we're looking forward to by Spike Lee. Absolutely. So we we know that's going to be there. Uh, we know that Solo, a Star Wars story, is going to be making its premiere at Cannes. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see how far that goes. Um, Under the Silver Lake, which we talked about before, that'll be at Cannes. And, I mean, there's a couple of other different films that are listed here. Um, a lot, a lot of different directors, a lot of diversity, as there always is at the uh, at the festival. So... I don't want to necessarily go through the entire list because, you know, that'll just be me reading off a bunch of different uh, films. Uh, but I'm just curious if anything about can uh, caught your eye. And also, too, I'm going to ask two questions here, Josh. What do you think about Cannes' decision to ban Netflix from the festival? Uh, well, just talking about just can in general in the movies, uh, I'm very happy that Spike Lee's got a movie playing. Uh, I think Spike Lee is one of, you know, our most important filmmaker so whenever he's got a new movie out i'm very intrigued about it so i'm I'm glad that there's going to be a platform at Cannes to see that uh in terms of their kind of beef with netflix you know it's one of those things where i understand their perspective of wanting to preserve this idea of the you know the cinematic experience and netflix you know it's their mission to 
destroy that. I mean, I, and I don't think that that is a, an unfair characterization of them. I think they want to get more people leaving theaters and watching their, their movies and content at home. Um, I wish sometimes their content would be better in, in terms of movies. And I think that might be the bigger issue for me, as opposed to whether or not they get shown in theaters, I'd like them to be good. Um, but I, I think can is an institution that is a little bit old fashioned and it's also inconsistent because they can decry about the cinematic experience, but then they're opening solo for their festival too. So I, I, let's also remember they also did great Gatsby. You know, I mean, they're no stranger to releasing a film that's supposed to come out in May, just a few days before it can. I mean, didn't uh, Mad Max Fury Road play a can? Yeah, and I yeah. think they also had something for, like, the Emoji Movie one year. Excuse me, I almost threw up. What? I think so. You might want to double-check it, but I'm pretty sure I remembered something about the Emoji Movie, like some event that they had at Cannes. I can't mentally wrap my brain around that. That's too much. So, like, they, as an institution, are not perfect either. And I definitely think this is a situation where it's about people needing to make compromises and nobody really wants to budge right now. And so they're just picking up their toys and leaving. And I don't think that helps anybody. It doesn't help the people who made movies with Netflix that would like to have that platform at, at Cannes. And it doesn't help uh, the festival itself because it just looks like it's outdated and uh, old guy yelling on the lawn, yelling at the kids to get off the lawn, you know? I, I definitely agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Josh, I, I, I got to say, uh, just from me to you really quick, I really appreciate you as a guest actually coming in and filling in like this. And not to mention, too, filling in even more probably than you thought you were bargaining for uh, with Will having to unfortunately uh, depart from the from the episode like this. So I just want to actually just uh, quickly say thank you. Um, and I also thank you for being a big fan of the show, always supporting us, sending in questions every week. Uh, you're definitely a valued member of the next best picture family as far as we're concerned well thank you very much matt I, i'm always glad to contribute whatever i can well with that said where can they find you on twitter sir uh you can find me on twitter at jr parham and you can find me at next best picture thank you so much everyone for listening to episode 86 of the next best picture podcast you can subscribe to us on itunes soundcloud google play stitcher tune in player fm and also on Castbox. be sure to leave us a review on apple Podcasts. let us know what you think of the show nothing less than five stars is ever acceptable we appreciate your feedback and support and also be sure to subscribe to our patreon channel for one dollar you can get all of our extra podcast reviews which we are throwing in throwback reviews as well as the series for next best adaptation and last best picture there are other tiers beyond that but we really really appreciate your support in any way that you can give it thank you so much for listening everyone we will see you all next time Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. 
Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.